0: Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com.
1: This is an RNZ podcast. They say it takes a village to raise a child, I'm Catherine Ryan, and here we draw on my conversations with experts on 9 to Noon to help you navigate family life. Well, debunking youth stereotypes, our guest is a senior lecturer in youth development and youth mentoring at the University of Auckland. Pat Bullen says all too often young people are stigmatised and discriminated against by blanket acceptance that adolescents are rude, lazy, self-entitled risk-takers who need fixing. Dr Bullen's ongoing research is painting a different picture. Pat Bullen's in the Auckland studio. Very good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good, thank you. So we've been discussing millennials born nineteen eighty on, also Gen Y, depending on your uh, terminology. Gen Z kicks in around nineteen ninety five. Uh, the the booths from then on, but is what you're talking about a life stage, irrespective of which particular generation?
0: Absolutely. That, that's, that's totally to the point is that um, it is irrespective of which generation we're referring to. And it really is about how we talk about and think about adolescence. And the challenge is, is we often think about them and talk about them in very negative ways um, without having it based on any evidence or facts. Are there comparisons in what
1: you've heard from the millennial generation across to Gen Z, you know, the, the sort of the snowflake reference or, um, you know, always uh, asking why in, in the workplace or wanting promotions before they're due or, uh, or, or the what about me's? Do those, those kinds of stereotypes that I've just ticked off translate from one generation to the next or sometimes do they get attached to a particular generation?
0: I think that's a really interesting question and I'm not sure I have 100% of the answer. Um, But I think in general, maybe what we're seeing is perhaps a difference in the way young people may be viewing the world, perhaps because of the context in which they're developing, the uncertainties around the future, around climate change and issues around that. And and there have been others that have looked at this and and, and conducted research in this space and and are really um, perhaps suggesting that that many of our young people may be looking to a better world, a better future, and maybe questioning the way things have been going. And is that necessarily a bad thing? Questioning and challenging. But the other thing that I find odd with the
1: stereotypes that often contradict about, let's talk about a generation that's say in its 20s now, maybe early 30s, some will be of, of one generation, some of another. The interesting thing is they don't just talk about it they're doing things.
0: About absolutely, it. <laughs> absolutely. I would totally agree Which with that. Which
1: would take us back to the boomers of the 60s, wouldn't it, out doing marches and actively protesting and, absolutely. and, and putting things into action. Yeah. Let's talk about your definition of adolescence, then adolescence into early adulthood. What are the commonalities?
0: And and I think that, that again, is a really good question, and a lot of people have different views around this, um, but I think if we if we think about it in a very broad sense, adolescence is the second decade of life. Um, If we look at the Ministry for Youth Development and what they tend to to define adolescence in Aotearoa, New Zealand, it's young people between the ages of 12 and 24. And so um, that's a very broad age group to even think about um, the the challenges that a 12-year-old may be experiencing versus the challenges of a 24-year-old. And their life experiences, of course, are very different. However, we also
1: know the, the the full development of the adult brain, people are putting the age back as far as the early 30s for some. I know. Uh, younger, um, thinking of Nathan Wallace's um, always in, in insightful work, if you're the firstborn girl, you might be relatively mature in an adult sense by your late teens, early 20s. If you're further down the chain in male, you might be in your early 30s. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of fluidity, I guess, in what we are talking about, but for you developmentally, what are you talking about?
0: And so I think I think the most important thing, if we're thinking about developmentally across the board, regardless of whether we're talking about our social development or our cognitive development, including brain development, is is that it very much is context specific. And so you you just indicated that for firstborn versus um, males or females, um, their developmental trajectory may be different. And again, it goes back to and speaks to the fact that um, context matters. It really does matter the in terms of the the context in which young people are developing. What's common, though, the fact that
1: you're um, coming into adulthood, the fact that you're starting to take on adult responsibilities, the fact that you're looking around you and having a vested interest in decisions that are being made?
0: And I think it's all of those things. Absolutely. You know, so as we're seeing that that as young people sort of progress through adolescence, um, their uh, increasing ability to engage in society, uh, particularly around their age and the, the brackets we put around at what age they can engage in what particular activities, they're becoming more able to make decisions about their own lives and their own directions that have significant implications in terms of where what they do in the future and what they're able to achieve in the future. And so we see that, that society and socially there's a lot of things that are influencing their, their um, trajectory in terms of their development, but embedded within that is also sort of their individualized um, perhaps um, uh, 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 what, what's the word I'm looking for, their're their perhaps individualized notions of themselves or um, their temperaments or their family and, and the influences of their social environments. Let's... Talk about millennials and/or Gen Z, though. Let's look at some
1: of the different stereotypes that you believe need challenging. What are yes? They?
0: And so I think the first thing is is that we, we really tend to think about um, turmoil as the norm. Like we look at adolescents and we think about them and the fact that they all young people experience emotional upheaval. That it's 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 the the normal aspect of adolescent development that young people will will experience challenges. And what we know is that actually 80% of young people don't experience challenges, that they're actually doing okay. And so the first myth is the fact that for the majority of our young people, they're actually doing okay. Um, The second myth is, is that, you know, we tend to think about these challenges as being based in biology, that young people have raging hormones, that they're driven by their hormones, and as a result, they have no ability to control or direct their lives in a sensible way. And again, the research is clear around this, that there isn't, in fact, raging hormones in adolescence. Certainly, um, they're experiencing things for the first time. But again, it goes back to the fact that that their contexts are changing. They're changing in terms of school. They're changing in terms of intimate relationships. Peers, they may be experiencing challenges in terms of their family relationships. And so a lot of the things that we think about in terms of adolescence isn't necessarily, again, based in biology and driven by this myth that, that they they are, in fact, um, problematic in some way. Risk
1: is another association, and, and again, you can probably generalise to su- some extent. But uh, is what you're warning about, don't don't make it to a great extent or universalise, because it's another perception ar- around um, people in this age group as well. Is that they're taking risks and, and learning by mistakes? Actually, they're pretty conservative generation I know. aren't they on that front when, they, when you're looking at actual data on sexual activity, on um, drug and alcohol use uh, they'd have called them the squares back in the '60s.
0: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And again, I think it's really important to share that message that our young people today are actually making much better decisions than perhaps I did at, at their age, um, and they're actually, um, you know, engaging in ways that are very different from from previous generations. But in particular, it is that risk taking um, space that we still stand, till, sorry, still, still tend to think about them in very negative ways, that it's inevitable that they're going to engage in problems and, 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 and take risks, when in reality, the evidence does not suggest that that's the case.
1: Any other stereotypes you, you are beginning to gather evidence against?
0: Um, well, I think I, I think that the the notions around these stereotypes, what they do is is it, it really then sets us up to think about adolescents in a negative way, and and in fact it sets us up to expect that they will engage in problems, and so when problems happen, we just say, oh, that's just part of their development, that's just what young people do. But in reality, what that does is it then stops us to actually provide the support that they might need because we. We think it's normative. And so, knowing that these challenges that some young people may experience aren't normative um, helps us step up as um, adults to make sure that they're doing okay and check in with them. One we didn't touch on,
1: I did touch on it with the snowflake reference. Um, this is interesting because I'm reading a Stanley Hall, a G. Stanley Hall from yes. the <laughs> early 1900s, <I> describing <laughs> teens as emotionally unstable and pathetic. Um, the the idea, well, some of it has some has some data that we should look at. Again, I don't know whether we are over measuring, but certainly there are anecdotally a lot of concerns about levels of anxiety yes. in this current Gen Z generation.
0: Yeah,
1: um, and resilience would be another that's often discussed. Again, when you look at the data that you are using to begin to build this picture and debunk some of these myths, is that something that really does need further attention, Pat?
0: And I I I think Catherine, that you're, you're picking up on something that's really important. And, and I think it is around the emotional health and well being of our young people. And I think that as even though we've seen positive changes around their risk taking behaviors, what we are seeing is that there still are a notable number of young people that are experiencing challenges around their emotional health and well being. And there's, I think there's much more opportunity in particular for us to step up and support them in that space and ensuring. That that we're acknowledging and working towards strategies that support um, young people that are experiencing depression or anxiety uh, and and really working with our young people to help them overcome those challenges. Because they can be incredibly debilitating and set them up in terms of of problems later in life if we don't address them and, and support them in the ways that they deserve to be supported.
1: Before we come into more detail about the dangers of stereotyping, I am interested in a a recent talk you gave, Millennials and Gen Z, who really needs fixing us or them? Yes. Because that instead of just looking at their characteristics and criticizing, it actually says perhaps some of their perceived characteristics are in response, as you said earlier, to the environment they're in. What was the message you gave in that talk?
0: Well, the message I gave in the talk is really thinking about the fact that if we expect that young people will behave in a certain way, if we actually um, anticipate and believe that they are problems, then in reality, we're not um, acknowledging their true and full potential. And and in what way do we then undermine their ability to um, engage and be active members and contributing members of society? And I think that that we need to really somehow break the stereotype. As you said, it, it started, I mean, I, in the talk, I actually um, gave out a quote that was by Socrates that talked about young people again in very similar ways to how we're still talking about young people today. And I don't know what the answer is, but it's pervasive and it's ongoing. And And I think as, as a generation, we need to step up and say, it's not okay to joke about young people in the ways that we do. And it's not okay to talk about them in such negative ways because we're perpetuating those stereotypes and really limiting their abilities in terms of not really celebrating, acknowledging and helping them to be the true potential that they can be.
1: At risk of someone calling you a snowflake, Pat, is there there evidence for that?
0: Is there evidence for that? Is there
1: evidence for the perception or the repeated um, misperception And stereotyping, and we talk about this with all other sorts of groups and communities in life, without hesitation, but is there evidence that it does either do
0: harm or underutilises potential? And I think, you know, I think it is a very difficult thing to measure. Um, And I guess the thing would be to ask a young person, when they read in the paper about the fact that all young people are problems or that um, a particular groups of young people are problematic, how does that make them feel? What is that? Um, how does that contribute to their own identity, to their own development? And do they start to then question, are they like that? Is this inevitable? Is this who they will become? And so I'm not... I I can't emphatically say there is evidence to suggest that, but I certainly know that there is evidence that that, um, identity is very much socially constructed. And if we represent and talk about young people in those ways, they tend to believe that that's who they are. And it does disrupt then their ability to to grow and develop in a positive way.
1: Now, here's an old-fashioned stereotype about teens and young people that, I don't see associated with this current Gen Z, especially. So I'm talking about the climate um, movement, that you know, mm-hmm. the, the school age and university age. The way we saw the phenomenal stepping up of young people, right at the front of meaningful public response to Absolutely. the mosque shootings. Yes. One thing we don't see attached to this generation is apathy. Is that different from you know the apathetic teen? Uh, I don't care. Who cares? Whatever. Is that less associated? Are you finding in popular culture and in the sorts of ways you're, you're, you're measuring
0: stereotypes, is that less associated with this group? Oh, that's really, again, an interesting question. And I, I guess I would also question to what extent our views of apathy are grounded in evidence as well. Is that, in, in fact, perhaps another myth that we may hold about teenagers as being apathetic? Um, and, and I certainly think there's probably evidence around across history that shows young people stepping up. And... Absolutely. The, um, the ways in which our young people engaged and really um, uh, st- stood up and, and, and stood against um, what we experienced in Christchurch um, was phenomenal. And it was wonderful to see that representation in the media, because that, I think, is the true representation of our young people, is, is how they are deeply caring, how, how they really do reflect, um, and they really do want to make the world a better place.
1: What's your research focusing on now? Again, it's tracking data... um pre-existing
0: data. What's the focus of your work from now on? And so um, there, there's two elements to my work. The, the, I'm certainly still interested very much in, in, in looking at these snapshots in terms of how our young people are doing. And we're currently in the practice, process of collecting data um, at the moment, looking again at a snapshot of the health and well-being of young people um, this year, which we'll then be able to compare to what it was like in 2012, 2007 and 2001. Um, the other stream of my work is also really around youth mentoring and the important role that adults play in the development of young people. And again, I think that's absolutely critical. And, and one of the things I know is, is that actually around 40% of young people would really like to spend more time with their families. Like they do feel like um, although 60% say they have enough time with their families, 40% say they actually would like to spend more time with their families. And 40% of young people also identify that they do don't have an adult outside their family that they can talk to about a serious problem. And so it's looking at ways that as a society and as communities, we could really look at supporting our young people and getting to know them and understanding um, them and and helping them in their development. The the
1: bit we probably haven't brought out enough is that actually... This different perspective actually changes what adults and and people in power do. So when you take on the view that academics and and yourself call positive youth development, when you start to see it as as an untapped resource or a resource to be not just saved up for the future, but encouraged now, how does that change what
0: others do, what older people do? Um, I think what it what it potentially should change and what older people do is to create communities and environments and where young people have the ability to authentically contribute. Because um, often we talk about sort of youth contribution and, and we set up ways in which they might be on a board or, or participate in a way, but we don't actually scaffold them. We don't create um, an environment that is youth friendly, that allows them to feel comfortable. We don't create necessarily the resources for them to um, feel that they can um, contribute and have a voice that's equal to uh, the adults that might be around the table. And so I think as a society, we really need to create those opportunities where young people can really participate and share their knowledge and experience because again it is as you say an untapped resource that I think we often neglect.
1: What's the work you do? You're co-director a Campus Connections Aotearoa, a therapeutic youth mentoring programme for uh, young people alienated from mainstream school. What happens there?
0: And so it's it's absolutely this fabulous opportunity that I've had over the past three years um, to develop a a youth mentoring program that's based at the University of Auckland where our students are actually mentoring young people um, in alternative education and so these are young people that have been alienated from mainstream school and so these are often young people um, that are really struggling that have experienced you know difficulties in life often driven by the impact of poverty and and what we see in terms of a program like this where our, where these young people come onto our campus and work with our students one to one around um, what their what their goals are for the future what what they'd like to do in terms of future employment um, they spend time together they, they support the young people in terms of helping them um, manage their behaviors their emotions but really thinking and, and supporting them to look at the future in a positive way and, and helping them on that path Path in terms of development. And I think what we've seen is, is that we've seen these young people develop um, more confidence in terms of what the future holds for them, but also in terms of their ability to communicate. And we've also seen real growth in our students because they're in this real environment where they're learning about youth development, they're learning about youth mentoring, and they're actually practicing it in real time by getting to know a young person and getting to understand their life um, and supporting them and and that's that's the beauty of this work is it's kind of this double benefit.
1: Thank You Pat Bullen Senior Lecturer in Youth Development and Youth Mentoring at the University of Auckland